Welcome to Changeport's Future Talent Podcast, our series of exclusive interviews with senior business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. I'm Tom Ritchie, Changeboard's Multimedia Editor. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe. The Future Talent Podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. In this conversation, recorded in February 2019, I'm joined by Lena Nair and Dr. Alan Watkins, appointed Chief HR Officer for Unilever in 2016. Lena has worked for the nutrition and personal care giant since 1992 after joining as a trainee. The first female CHRO in the business's history, she is a leading voice on the future of HR and has appeared at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Dr. Alan Watkins is the founder and CEO of Complete Coherence, a consultancy that specialises in developing enlightening leadership through individual and team development. Originally training as a physician and neuroscientist, Alan has integrated his approach to leadership development with learnings from many diverse fields. He has worked with many senior leaders in the FTSE 100 and FTSE 250 businesses and has recently worked with Lean and Air using the principles of network analysis and better understanding Unilever's workforce. In this podcast, we discuss Lena's path to becoming the CHRO of Unilever, the future of the HR profession, and why leaders in the function must put their employees' well-being at the heart of what they do. Hi, Lena and Alan. Um, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Uh, Lena, I thought we could just start by um, you talking us through your career, how you got started in your path to becoming the CHRO for Unilever. I started as a management trainee. Uh, I did my engineering degree, electronics and telecommunications engineering, hated working as an engineer, switched lanes to do an MBA in human resources, and I've loved every minute of being in human resources. I started as a management trainee and worked in all sorts of roles in India with Hindustan Lever in sales and marketing and production and manufacturing and employee relations, and then grew to become the HR head for the business, then did HR for increasing bits in Asia, and then eventually became the chief HR officer three years ago. And I saw you uh, recently spoke, speaking at Davos about how HR and also business in general needs to reskill their workforces for the new world of work. Um, before we speak more generally on this topic, uh, this is obviously something that you've had to do over the course of your career. So um, what is your personal approach to learning new things, learning new skills? Firstly, make time for it. So very early in the year, I plan for no more than 70% of my time internal in the company and 30% outside. And I use every opportunity to learn. So any author who's written a book that I've liked, I call them in for a chat, I speak to our consulting firms, I speak to young people in the business. So just ensuring that I'm learning all the time. Mm. Hashtag I learn every day. Every day. Every day. Lots of coffee, lots of conversations. And I'm amazed at how much I learn. I always have a couple of mentors every year, a couple of reverse mentors, a couple of digital mentors. So all of so there's a discipline of setting aside time and learning mm. new things. So yeah, key key to reskilling in the future will be uh, so the concept of learnability. So how open you are to accepting new challenges and information, stuff like reverse mentoring, mentoring in general. Um, so this is this is for both Lena and Alan. So what are the key skills leaders and all employees need to make sure that they are open and receptive to being good learners? Um, I think curiosity is the main thing mm. for, for me, is uh, if you're fascinated with what you're yeah. reading and who you're talking to, 
then you've got the possibility of folding in that yes. learning. Uh, and if you're uh, in a state of appreciation, then it's much easier to appreciate what you learn. Yeah. Um, so I think open-mindedness, curiosity, and appreciation are the watchwords for being a great learner. To me, the word I'd add to curiosity is a sense of humility. Starting from a position of, I don't really know the answers, but I'm going to try and figure this out, is very important. So curiosity coupled with tremendous humility. Every day if you think you're a learner, every day if you say, you know, I'm just beginning my career, I have so much more to learn. That helps you be learnable. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that is obviously going to become more and more important as um, the future of work changes. So one of the things that we've spoken a lot about at our conference, um, Alan, of course, you've been to all of them, I think, so uh, in, in some capacity. Um, one, of the f one of the things that we're going to be talking about this year as well is um, the fear of automation. So this obviously means that reskilling is absolutely imperative. Um, but do we need to be scared of what that actually means or do we have to approach it in a, a humble and curious way? Firstly, I believe the job of leadership is to build an optimistic and hopeful picture for the future. I mean, who's going to follow you if you say the world is dreary, dull, terrible, and you know, then you're going to have no followership. So I personally believe in optimism for leaders to find a way to look at things that are changing so fast and find a way. I think uh, that... The world of work changing like this and the lines between technology and what being human is blurring so much is an area of huge opportunity because it's going to dial up what being human means. The skills of creativity, problem solving, social skills, learning to work in networks, learning to collaborate, deeply human skills are going to be even more valued. So I do think in all these difficult messages, there's also a hopeful, positive message that is the human skills, the social skills are going to be even more in value. But it's not automatic. You've got to develop them. You've got to hone them. You've got to train yourself to be better at it. So it has implications, and I'm hopeful and optimistic. Yeah, I'd echo that. Uh, and I think if one can accelerate the learning, um, and see how you can apply, then the learning becomes development. So in my view, 20% uh, of the value is in the learning and 80% of the value is in the application of the learning to create change in yourself, your team, your organization. So when learning becomes development, then you can really pick up speed and go further and faster. You know, when I see some of the statistics that the World Economic Forum is setting out, you know, 75 million jobs will be displaced by the shift of automation in the sectors that we know and we're measuring this. But equally, we see that 133 million new jobs will be created because machines will augment human potential. So there is an opportunity. But the 75 million can become 30, 133 million only if all of us reskill ourselves, learn new skills, apply them in different ways. And... and if you could give us some examples of the work that Unilever has done, you know, the, we're talking about how many million of, of employees around the world in so many different places, you know, that that's got to be quite a difficult task to oversee for so many different people. So what is the what's the approach in how you've 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 began reskilling the your employee base? 
there are a couple of things we're doing. One is what I call providing the infrastructure and the other is the mindset for learning. In providing the infrastructure, we have done many investments. We have uh, partnered with a company called Degreed, which curates all internal and external content available. We have more than two and a half million pieces of content on every subject you can think of that's available in that infrastructure. And using the power of data and analytics, we make sure every employee has a daily feed of what they need to learn yeah. that's built on um, desk strings, it's built on the areas of development, it's built on the roles that they need to do. So it's a daily feed encouraging you to learn every day. So one is putting the infrastructure in place. But to me, the bigger challenge is that of mindset. You know? Every morning, if you keep telling people, life's going to change, everything is terrible, it's fearful. It's scary for people. It's scary for me. It's scary for everyone saying, oh my God, is everything I know about the world and how I do my job changing? How do I get right and relevant for this? So we do a couple of things to work on the mindset. One is we are running purpose workshops for 100% of our employees who go through what is their purpose? What excites them? What gets them out of bed? Why do they come to work for Unilever? What is it about Unilever that excites them? So in many ways, that allows to give them an anchor and shows them possibility, shows them what progress they can make. The other thing we do to help them with mindset changes is to make learning easy, bite-sized snacks. I call it snackable learning, bite-sized amount of learning. So it's easy to absorb. It's easy to understand provide the space and time for learning. And importantly, in all our leadership courses, we have started bringing in our new standards of leadership, which is about learning agility, which is about a sense of purpose and personal mastery. Mm -hmm. So by working on the mindset where people feel more confident about learning, they embrace the learning mindset, they, they invest in their own purpose, and therefore they have anchors which to hold on to when the world is changing. By investing in mindset, and infrastructure, we hope to be able to get people to learn fast and learn more. So, yeah, so again, this is something that a lot of um, the people that we speak to, the common thread in this is the finding the right mindset. So I guess when you're looking across the different places that you operate in the world, that's the one common denominator, that it's personalized, and but that in itself, so what are the differences in, in, in the different places around the world? What, what can we think of? how the future of work is affecting some places to, to others. You know, the, uh, you know, one of the privileges of my job is being able to see how everything lands in 190 countries. Mm. And no two countries are the mm. same. The way it happens in Japan is different from the way it happens in Saudi Arabia. Uh, what I notice is that there are certain pockets where the, this level, the skill gaps are more easily understood and seen. Yeah, so, for example, when I look at Africa as a continent, I'm deeply conscious that the markets, the markets we are in, are not as developed on customer skills, mm. on channel skills, as, say, North America, for example. So a lot of investment has to go into pure functional skills, customer development, marketing, route to market. How do you, you know, go to trade? How do you talk about uh, the consumer products? So the maturity of functional skills is different in different parts of the world. Mm. The other thing uh, I notice is that learners learn in different ways. We have active learners in every country uh, who almost certainly are doing better than others in terms of performance ratings, in terms of how they move, etc. But uh, we also see that visual media is getting more and more popular, but it's not a country thing, it's more a generational thing. Yeah. yeah? 
So we see uh, that th there is some homogeneity in the themes. Demographics matters. How you learn matters. Some are visual learners, some are podcast listeners, some are, you know, I need to see it in action, active, some are, I want to learn from my peers. Uh, what I've seen universally work in Unilever is peer-to-peer -peer learning. Mm -hmm. In almost every country and context it works. If people feel I'm learning from a peer who's in the similar context that I am in, is struggling with the same challenges, and has somehow found answers, they find that easier. So there's some themes that are similar, peer-to-peer -peer learning, just-in-time learning. I don't want to be barraged with a lot of learning when I have no relevance for it, I have no opportunity for applying it. But when I want to apply it, I want it at my fingertips personalized works in almost all contexts. But there are some differences which are based on the maturity of the market, which are based on the skills that are in short supply in that particular country. It depends on role modeling by leaders in some countries more than others, and so on and so mm. forth. And there was, there was one thing that I wanted to, to touch on both of you with as well, which is um, the concept of network analysis. Now, this is something that I know that the two of you have worked quite closely on together. So, Alan, could you give us kind of like a brief overview of, of what the term actually means for the people who, who might not be 100% aware, and also um, how that has benefited Unilever, uh, or in your opinion, at least? Yeah, so it sort of started with... Um, some academia in the 1960s um, sort of looking at social theory essentially uh, so um, it's become increasingly uh, embraced by many multinationals particularly as the world becomes digitally uh, powered up this peer-to-peer -peer or network learning becomes unbelievably critical so the old models where it was all about content I as an individual had a load of content um, is just not quick enough mm -hmm. in the sort of blurred world that we now live in. So uh, unlocking the learning of the crowd or the wisdom of the crowd becomes increasingly important. And network analysis can really help you do that. So the smartest person in any organization today is not any, uh, unfortunately, anybody in the C-suite, but it's everyone. Mm -hmm. So uh, network analysis can be used to unlock that wisdom. So rather than you know it be the view of a consultant or to a C-suite player, uh, the crowd wisdom can tell you how the system's actually working. And often we've seen in the research that the crowd knows the answer often in advance of anybody else in the system. It doesn't exist in one individual, it exists in everyone. So network analysis unlocks that and tells you how is it working functionally, how is it working culturally, and how is it working strategically. So nine simple questions can release all of that wisdom and give organizations incredible insight as to how their system really is working. It's a little bit like a, an organizational MRI, if you okay. will. So and obviously in, in, in times past where the technology wouldn't have supported that, that wouldn't have been possible in a business such as Unilever. So what has network analysis kind of allowed you to, to understand about your workforce? You know, one we have to remember the context. We started talking about the world of work and we started talking about what it means in terms of how people work. I think some of the biggest changes are going to be the challenge of hierarchy in the world of the future, the need for borderless workforce, as in people working across boundaries and borders, because those are blurring in any case. Where does sales end? Where does marketing begin? Where does supply chain end? Where does customer development begin? The traditional functions as we have seen it in most organizations are getting challenged because things are blurring so much. So I see that world where hierarchy is going to be challenged. Increasingly, we need to put 
different ways of working, squat teams, scrum teams, sprint teams, cutting across functional boundaries. Because in a world where we need speed, hierarchies have to be challenged. In a world where generally people don't know the answers, we just spoke about humility a while ago, you need people to find that wisdom in crowds because no single person has the answers because the issues you're dealing with are more com complex than what we've dealt with in the past. The way it's all coming together because of technology has really changed n normal business challenges into complex ones. So I really believe that networks working collaboratively are so important for the future. So it is great that we had Alan and team come and help us understand how our network of HR professionals is working together. And what was clear from the analysis for us is that we are not tapping and leveraging the network as much as we could. And there were people in my team feeling rather lonely because they saw these huge mega problems that they had to deal with, but were not relying on people in the network who had that experience, who had solved that before in another context and could be terribly helpful. So I think what it showed as a mirror is that the network, the power of the network is exponential. It's not one plus one, two. It's much more. So people coming together gives you synergy of a way that of a way and order that you cannot imagine. So it brought to light the fact that we can do so much more in using the power of the network to solve some of the big wicked problems that we have. I think Lena's absolutely right. And moving forward, the future of work is going to be less about hierarchy and matrix and, and formal structures and much more fluid, boundaryless organizations uh, who are not managing a supplier base but are managing a partner base. Um, and we think it'll become, um, and it's already moving, we can see the crowd has already spotted this into a sort of three-layered networked organization. So if you look at these network charts, interestingly, the crowd is already self-organizing in that way with a sort of strategic layer um, where all the kind of really big picture thinking goes on and a frontline operational layer which exactly in the way that Lena describes swarms and scrums on particular issue and then a sort of middle integrating layer which is connecting the front line whether it's operational or factory or customer service with the strategic so you have this integrating layer so a kind of three-layered networked organization and in many companies where we've done this network analysis you can already see that happening mm. um, so the crowd has already figured that out uh, which is incredibly fascinating so uh, that to me suggests that this is in some ways a natural process that would have happened if it was allowed to happen in previous structures of work. Is it technology that has facilitated that change or is it just a change in mindset of the people who are working today or is it, as is often the case, a combination of a myriad number of things? Well, I think technology is just showing you the picture. Mm. Uh, I think it's human beings being incredibly smart mm. and figuring out uh, the old way of operating simply isn't quick enough uh, and flexible enough and agile enough to deal with a complex world. So uh, human beings have just started to you know, restructure the way that they're working themselves and it looks much more boundaryless, fluid, cross-geography, cross-functional, networked, three-layered organizations. That's how organizations, and we see this across many, many companies, and, and unilly we saw some fantastic pictures uh, uh, of how people were connected in this way, in a much more fluid, boundaryless, end-to-end. -end. And that's what it's going to take to maintain competitiveness. 
And this kind of brings me on to my to my next question, really, is there's something that you've discussed already is that HR's role is is going to change in this new world of work. You know, it's so it's becoming less and less about transactional processes and more about the business articulating its core purposes, which feeds in from this network. You know, you can you can leverage the knowledge of the of the people in the business to understand what it is that they think the core purpose of the business is. So how do you see the role of HR changing in the next, let's say, five years to put a number on it? HR is the most exciting function at the moment, in my view. Yeah, and I really feel that having spent 25 years in this function, this is the most relevant decade for HR because never have people been so important to a business. We always say people are the most important thing, but it's today I see it truly borne out for a number of reasons. One is there is no other dif competitive advantage left for businesses. Everything can be matched. You want to reach a consumer, you have the internet. You want to do, people are creating brands and products with very little R&D in it, with not even owning any factories. Mm. So the world has changed where people and their ideas and their passion and their purposeful decisions are the core of a competitive advantage for a company. And I feel HR is such an exciting time because we are in a place where we can lay the road for the business instead of following after the business, filling in the cracks that have already happened. So HR really needs to be at the front end of business, transforming the business. Because two or three things that in my mind, and these are nice quotable quotes which are sort of staying in my head. One is the soft stuff is the hard stuff for the next 10 years. And who knows the soft stuff better than people in HR? The second is structure is irrelevant. Culture is the new structure. What you can change, the glue that holds everybody together is not rigid job descriptions and boxes and charts. It's values, it's purpose, it's culture, it's the ways we behave. And last but not the least, the power of data and analytics has allowed measurement to happen, some of which we are seeing in things like network analysis, where human potential and its impact can be seen and measured. So in the past, you'd say human beings were important, their engagement, their motivation, their satisfaction is important, but you never really had empirical evidence or data to be able to show that. What the world of technology and data and analytics has allowed us to do is to put a light on that. So three big themes for HR people that I would love for everyone to reflect on. One is, this is the time for HR to count, to step tall, to make a difference, to lead the business, to be ahead of the business. The second is to use the power of data analytics technology to measure the impact of human potential in real ways. And the third is to bring, dial up culture, purpose, values in the, at the heart of a business. So these are the reasons why I feel it's so exciting to be in HR. There's so much to be done, and the role of CHROs are therefore changing for the better in this world that's moving fast. Uh, and I'd agree with that. I mean, I think there is uh, an opportunity now for the HR community to change the workplace and therefore change the world. Uh, because, you know, for many people, their workplace is their world. I mean, we spend so much time at work, yeah. um, and it's just a fantastic opportunity um, because business is ready for this. Uh, the tide has really turned in the last 12 months as increasing number of people have realized this sort of 1970s view where profit was the only thing that mattered, uh, was the driver of business. 
Um, and companies like Unilever, who are purpose-driven, are really leading the pack, saying, look, we have to conceptualize business differently. It's not just about the money. And there are many people waking up. Uh, and in the last 12 months, the tide has really turned. When somebody like Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock, who got $6.3 trillion under management, says you won't get any of our investment unless you can demonstrate you're doing something purposeful and meaningful in your community. When people like that start to say things like that, there's something clearly going on. Uh, and I think Unilever is at that vanguard. And yeah. I think the HR community has this fantastic opportunity. Uh, data analytics, culture, um, you know, will really change the future. So it really is an exciting time. You said something that I, really, I wanted to pick up on, um, which was that the, the soft stuff is the hard stuff. Um, and obviously, in the past, that's fallen solely on HR's shoulders. But we're seeing now with technology and some of the trends that are driving change in the workplace that well-being is obviously yeah. one of the most important things that's going on in the business world at the moment. So what is the what do, le what do leaders in HR and the wider business have to do to make sure their employees' well-being and health are safeguarded? Uh, I'm um, glad Alan spoke about how we see this in the world. So when I see that outside of Unilever too, I see that purposeful business is here to stay. You know, I attended one of the sessions at Davos, which is on digital transformation. And it was the CEO of Microsoft, CEO of PayPal, CEO of Lego. And for 55 minutes of the hour, they spoke about culture, culture and values. I was thinking, when is technology going to make an appearance in digital transformation? It didn't make an appearance. And these were three people who are all heavily seeped into technology, talking about culture being the single biggest differentiator why a company transforms or doesn't transform to be agile. So that was nice food for thought. And again, I saw how central issues like mental well-being, disability, et cetera, were on the agenda in Davos. And it's just fresh two weeks ago that I was at Davos, actually a week ago. So it's, it's clear that leaders are beginning to put this on the agenda. Not everybody knows what to do, but on the agenda. So our journey on well-being started about five years ago where we really dialed it up and we said, Everybody who enters Unilever must be physically fit, mentally fit, emotionally fit, purposeful, pur pur purposefully fit. So it became our framework for looking at health and well-being in a very big way. So all our employees have been through a day-long workshop called Thrive, where they've created their own well-being plans. For some, it's nutrition. For some, it's sleep. For some, it's a mental issue they're facing. For some, it's depression. The range varies, but everyone has a chance to talk about what is their plan to feel fully well? And uh, and this language is through the business. We uh, we measure well-being through all our employee surveys. We look at work-life balance issues through our surveys. We have a slew of policies that support employees in their well-being, whether it's flexibility policies, job share policies, paternity leave, generous maternity leave across the world. So we look at everything we can do to make employees' lives easier as much as we can to balance in, a w in, in, in extraordinary pressure times in our world. So the, the thing that really um, is interesting is for every dollar we invest in well-being, we get a return of two and a half dollars back. 
So, you know, I don't even have to stand up and say, please look after employees' health and well-being. It's a nice thing to do. Let's be kind and nice. I don't even have to say that. I mean, I'm blessed to have leaders who are normally very, very progressive in how they look about talent and people. But the truth is, even the money speaks. You know, absenteeism is down. Productivity is up. It's two and a half times the return. So I don't even have to justify anymore why it makes business sense to just invest in our employees and their well-being. It's not common sense anymore. I have the numbers. Alan, there was something, as I was writing that question out, I remembered um, a moment that we had at our last conference when you were speaking with Jeff McDonald, who used to be the VP of HR at Unilever. And a good friend and somebody who passionately made a difference to mental well-being in this company. Absolutely. Um, and Alistair Campbell, and you asked everybody in the auditorium to stand up if they or someone who was close to them, sort of close friend or family member, had been affected by uh, mental ill health. And I don't think anybody was still sat on their chair. So is it, it's at a point now where everybody kind of knows that this is an imperative, right? But how do they go about making sure that that is articulated through all of their purpose processes in their business it's clearly a, a deeply held issue f- for virtually everybody uh, like at the conference there wasn't uh, anybody that wasn't touched directly by mental and emotional well-being issues but uh, one of the things i find most fascinating I- in this area is um if you focus on the emotional dimension uh, that's where some of the game-changing interventions are. So it's wonderful uh, that people like Jeff and, and many others, uh, um, you know, the royals uh, are promoting the idea of, of, of mental health. Um, so I, I think it's much more acceptable to talk about these things uh, in most modern businesses. Um, but then hopefully we're now moving into a phase, what are we going to do about it? Mm. How are we going to move the dial? And for us, you know, zooming in on... Uh, how people actually feel and their abilities to change how they feel is at the heart. So energy and emotions for us are the biggest dial movers. Uh, Many things, as as Lena pointed out, can help. But if you want to make the biggest difference uh, in that that space, emotions and energy are where we need to really zero in and give people and empower people, give them the ability to change how they feel regardless of what's going on around them. Mm. That, that's going to make a massive difference when mm-hmm. we get to that. So, yeah, thank you um, both so much for uh, agreeing to speak with us today. It's been a great conversation. Lena, I just wanted to end on, on, on one last question um, for you. Um, if you were going to give a single bit of advice to a young woman starting her career that wants to reach the same level of success in business that you have, what would you say to them? I would say dream big. Have big goals, big ambition. Don't let anyone else tell you how ambitious you can be. Thanks for listening. To hear more conversations like this, make sure you subscribe to the Future Talent Podcast on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you another Future Talent Podcast very soon.